But um, what I wanted to do, if possible, was show a timeline. I'm a visual person, so um, a number of years ago we did a whole series called Theology for Dummies. Uh, who was around for Theology for Dummies? A long time ago. And uh, we did some real basic stuff with regards to timelines and that type of thing. Is it up or no? Wait. Oh, Dean. All right, let me just talk you through this. Can you, I, you can see this, right? So this is not super technical, but I think it's, for me it's helpful because I'm a visual person. So as we've been doing this series on one, you can still all see that, right? Both sides. <clears throat> we have all of the, you know, the leaders uh, up to the point of Solomon. The main leaders, of course, you know, there's others that are not there. I'm just giving you a quick uh, skim here. But uh, Solomon, King Solomon was where Judah and Israel became separate kingdoms. So uh, click, Dean. So what we see at that point was that um, in uh, 1 Kings 11, God visited Solomon. Solomon was unfaithful. He had many wives. He had, uh, he had I think, 700 concubines. And he had a lot of women in his life. Let's just say that. And he, he, was, uh, he was unfaithful to God's promises to him. And God told him angrily, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to someone who is not your own. So at that point, 10 tribes, the tribes of Israel under King Jeroboam at that point, um, split. And uh, there was a total of 19, including that king, 19 really bad kings that, that governed Israel uh, for the period of time. And ultimately what happened was, because again, remember when we saw the video about how long-suffering God was? Remember it said, His wrath is not instant. We have 19 kings who completely disobeyed God, worshipped false gods, took Israel astray. And even despite that, God allowed this chain to go until finally he just said, no, the, my wrath, my judgment will come. Assyria, who were the most evil, vicious empire, they invaded and uh, those now became the and took away Israel and they became 10 lost tribes. All right, good. Okay, one more, Dean, please. All right, so the other side was Judah, two tribes, and under King Rehoboam, um, they had 20 kings total, and uh, that was 20 mixed kings. So there were some good, mostly bad, but 20 kings that ruled over Judah. And then what happened was um, Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem, and this is what we're talking about now at this point. So so this whole Lamentations, Jeremiah, is all concerning this period when Israel was invaded, or Judah was invaded by, uh, Jerusalem invaded rather, by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and taken into the Babylonian captivity. Uh, after that, what happened, just for the record, Medo-Persian Empire, Cyrus took over, Second Chronicles, you can read that. And then after that, the exiles started coming back to rebuild Jerusalem. Now, what I wanted to show you, We've got two more clicks. One more click over. I want to show you where the prophets spoke, who the prophets spoke to. So you have some time frame. The books of the Bible are not chronologically put together. So you can just read through all the prophets in sequence. There's major prophets and minor prophets. Who knows what the difference is? Is it height, foot size? What is the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet? Size. Okay, it's just the size of the book. It doesn't make them more important or less important. That's all it means. Major prophets, minor prophets. So what you see over here is Elijah and Elisha who don't have books. You find them in First and Second Kings, obviously. But uh, Amos and Hosea, they spoke into those 19 bad kings. That's where their prophetic ministry was during the years. So when you're reading it, you're reading Amos's prophecies, you're reading Hosea's prophecy. They're talking to, to, uh, to uh, Israel, those 10 tribes. 
And then ultimately, when they were in captivity, we have Jonah and Nahum speaking into them in captivity. Okay, on the, on the, on the, other, side of, uh, the other side over here, so what we have in the mixed kings, the 20 mixed kings, we have Joel, Isaiah, Micah, Zephaniah, and Habakkuk are speaking into that period of Israel's history before they were uh, captured and taken to Babylon. And then in Babylon, the Babylonian era pre and, and during, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Obadiah. So next week I'm talking about Ezekiel, and then I think uh, Justin's doing Daniel after that. And then when we get back to the rebuilding of Jerusalem, we have the prophets Haggai, Haggai and Zechariah speaking to that. And the final thing with Ezra and Nehemiah come back is Malachi. Okay, so when you see the prophets... You can't just kind of just take any, anything they say and just contextualize it as you will. They spoke into a certain context. I, does it, is this helpful for you or not? Yeah, yeah. Helpful for me. I'm a very visual person. So it just helps me to know who the prophets were and when they spoke. And so right now we are speaking into that era when Jerusalem has been overthrown and uh, Nebuchadnezzar has come in and destroyed the, uh, the city, taken the captives for 70 years. All right. Okay, good. We can just go back to normal. There's going to be no more slides. I think we've survived our crisis and uh, we're all in one piece. All right, where am I on my notes? Because this is all out of whack right now. Okay, there we go. Okay, let me start off with a quote um, in regards to lamentation. So the whole idea of doing this series is that the Bible, Old and New Testament, is one story. And you can find Jesus in the new, obviously, and in the old. And there be, somebody once said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So we are able to look at this one story, and therefore, I remember when we first became Christians, we were at a point in our lives where we, were, we had all kinds of input and all kinds of uh, different teachings, and at one point we just said, oh, we just read the New Testament. We don't even worry about the Old Testament. And uh, it's so funny because we went to a, a, a meeting in, in a church. It wasn't our own in Toronto. And there was a, a prophetic guy there. And uh, Edwina and I, were just, we literally just said, we might as well just get New Testament. We're not, we're not even going to read the Old Testament. And this guy stood up and he goes, there's some people here that have said, the Old Testament is irrelevant to you. There was like 3,000 people in the room. I'm like, how does this guy know me? How does David Wilkerson know what I'm talking to my wife about? And he goes, there are some people that feel like the Old Testament is irrelevant. And he goes, and let me show you why you are completely wrong. And he dismantled our theology in about 10 minutes. And at that point, we realized the Old Testament was incredibly important part of our story of who Jesus is and, and who Jesus is to us. So with regards to Lamentations, I'm going to read a quote, size 20, bold font. Lamentations, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I've had eye surgery and it's great to a degree, <laughs> but I'm 20 font right now and I'm bold. Lamentations is a confronting book showing, as this, showing us the seriousness of rebellion against God. It spares no detail in revealing the radical sinfulness of sin and its awful consequences. But it also points beyond itself to the mercy of God, of the new covenant in Christ, who despite everything, fulfills God's covenant promises to his people, wayward though they are. For ultimately, this biblical book must be seen as Christ's cry from the cross, as he suffers 
for the sin Lamentations mourns. Beautiful commentary. You know, when we think about how do we connect Lamentations to the New Testament, you know, who can forget that image in Matthew 23 of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem? You know, I remember, remember when we went to Israel the first time, the only time actually, and <laughs> it's like, yeah, we go to Israel weekly. Now we've been once. And I, I just remember that. I remember the bus pulling into this spot and him just stopping where you got to look all over Jerusalem. And you saw that, you know, the golden dome. And, and it was like this feeling of maybe this is where Jesus stood and wept over the city. You know, magnificent city, and Jesus wept over it because of the sin of the people, because they were rejecting the truth. And uh, in, you know, Jeremiah the prophet himself, we, people believe Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, not everybody, but most people do. And Jeremiah himself is the prophet who is mourning over the fall of Jerusalem, and in effect pointing to the ultimate weeping prophet who is to come. So we have this, this connection between Lamentations, I think, and Jesus. And so today I'm going to hit five points. There's five books in Lamentations, five points. I don't think it's going to be long, so stay, stay, stay tuned. But I don't think it's going to be a long one, but I think it's going to be helpful. That's my prayer at least. So chapter one, I've called it Look and See. Again, nothing come up on the screen if you want to write down that. Chapter one, Look and See. In chapter 1, as you saw in the video, we see Lady Zion saying, Notice my fate. And, you know, we're talking about grief. Lamentations is about verbalizing grief and pain. And God, uh, sorry, grief often results in an inability to express yourself. I don't know if you've ever experienced true grief. It's not sadness. It's very different. I, I think there's just a few times in my life where I've experienced true grief. And it's, it's not, you don't become super verbal at that point. You know, most of the time what happens is there's so many emotions wrapped up in the grieving process that your mind is overwhelmed and there's a dominating uh, inner pain that just causes uh, people typically to kind of just double over and groan. You almost want to go into the fetal position. You just can't even verbalize what's going on. It's so painful. And as the Bible Project stated, grief is a crucial part of the journey of faith of God's people in a broken world. And the author has gone beyond, the, this author in chapter 1, he's gone beyond the kind of wordless pain of grief to being able to accurately detail all of the elements of a pain. And we often try and bury our grief, but she expressed it as a lament and used it as a cry to the Lord in verse 11 of chapter 1 to look and see. You know, we are given permission, I think, to verbalize our grief and lamentations. We came from a church culture where we did not have a theological framework uh, for bad things happening in people's lives. We didn't have the framework. And as a result, it was tough to help them through the grieving process um, because we just didn't really have that theology strong enough to handle that disappointment. We believe that God was good, we, which He is, and that you know, good things happen to good people, and often they did, but not always. And so we didn't have the framework to be able to help people. And there was no way that people could complain to God because that would be disrespectful. 
um, uh, as they tried to find a reason for the tragedy. And people would say, you know, did I do something wrong? Uh, is this God's judgment on my life? Or what could I have done differently? People would ask these kind of questions. And there were times where I made the terrible mistake of trying to explain the reason why those things happened. And I was totally out of line. The answer to why bad things happen to good people is, I don't know. And our theology has to be strong enough to be able to support that. There is an element of the unknown in our lives. Christianity is not about us knowing everything that's going to happen and being able to script with our confession and our good lifestyle to script everything that's going to happen in a positive way. That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about tying your life to a bigger story which gives you the theological framework to recognize that our hope is not in this world only. It's not. So when we are disappointed in this world, it doesn't mean that our life is over or that our life is a failure. We have an eternal weight of glory which is promised to us. And Jesus endured the cross, looking past the cross through all the pain. And the, imagine the pain and disappointment of being separated from the Father and being nailed to the cross, you know, to the point where he said, if it's possible, please, could you take this away from me? Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. He looked through that because he realized there was a whole bunch of people in Ajax all these years later, here we are, that would be calling Him by His name, living our lives for Him, and hitching our lives to a bigger story than the world is giving us at the current time. So I don't know is something that I was never really confident to say in my early days of ministry. I say it a lot now. I don't know. Sorry, I don't know. Grief somehow must ultimately be expressed. Some are better at speaking it out, Others may write. I'm a writer. So when I, when I, if, if, I'm, if I get stuck and I don't know how to express myself, I'll go to pen and paper. But some way or another, grief must be expressed. It shouldn't just be buried. Ultimately, as a Christ follower, our grief must be verbalized and then prayerfully taken to God um, with the painful request for Him to take notice, to look and see as we see in verse 11 of chapter 1. Chapter 2, the Lord has become like an enemy. The Lord has become like an enemy. You know, the author is detailing the fall of Jerusalem as a consequence of God's wrath. And most of us would have no frame of reference, have no frame of reference for the absolute devastation that the Jewish people had experienced. I think... Um, you know, imagine an invading force obliterating your city and capturing you and all the other inhabitants and dragging you off to another country. You know, we've been watching from afar, and if you notice, it doesn't shock us as much as it did six months ago when Russia invaded um, the Ukraine. <laughs> Ukraine. And, um, you know, in that case, you know, it was a, it's a savage war. But when you're in something like that and, and a, a country comes in and completely decimates everything you have, it's 
this kind of grief is not related to the loss of an individual or economic status or you lost your house. It's all encompassing. We have lost everything. You know, people that were self-sufficient and, and living comfortably are now digging in the, in the mud for food and just trying to survive and wondering where the next bottle of water, or glass of water is coming from. We don't have a frame of reference, reference for that. And that's what we've seen happen in Ukraine. That's what happened in Israel. To the point where mothers were boiling their children and eating them. That's how absolutely devastating it was. We can't even comprehend that. So this was a deep grief. And we, th we think about, you know, where is God in this case? You know, the, the author said, the Lord has become like an enemy in verse 5. Where is God? Israel had completely dis uh, disobeyed God's law, rebelled against His statutes, and even though this long-suffering God continually showed them grace and mercy, ultimately, as they ignored His warnings, He had no choice but to show them the wrath his wrath by allowing the Babylonian invasion. Now, here's a kind of, I want you to think about this, because sometimes our huge life messes are of, are of our own making. You know, it's not, always, it's not always a Ukraine situation where you're just sitting around one day and a, a nation invades you. Sometimes we have created our own situations and our own messes. We've ignored multiple red flags. We've pushed open and forbidden and locked doors. Um, as Christ followers, we love to focus on the grace and mercy of God, but we tend to forget that the Lord disciplines those that He loves, Hebrews chapter 12. So even though um, we believe in God's grace and His mercy, the Bible also says do not frustrate the grace of God. And do not use the freedom we have as Christ followers as a liberty or an occasion to the flesh or a, an opportunity for you to just do what you want, knowing that repentance is on the other side of that illegal act. That is not the way we live. And at some point, God's discipline will come upon us when we're living that way. And uh, when He does that, when, when God disciplines us, uh, our grief and guilt are intertwined and we can easily feel like God has become our enemy. Where is God? God, you're against me. And think about Israel saying, God is our enemy. You have behaved like God's enemy for centuries. He told you, don't do this and you built this. Don't go there and you went there. Everything God told them to do, they did the opposite for centuries. And then finally, when judgment comes, they say, you are our enemy. No, you have been an enemy of the one who is trying to love you for this whole time period. And so interesting, when we get into 3, we'll see a, a transition. Chapter 3, he says, but this I call to mind. And again, if you have your Bible and open it to, to Lamentations, somehow the sufferer who said this in Lamentations chapter 3, 7 to 9, or just listen, he has he has walled me about. So this is, the, this is the, the, um, the person who's writing in chapter 3. He says, He has walled me about, talking about God, so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. That is a dark place. This is somebody who cannot find his way back to God. 
He cannot talk to God because God has blocked him. And that's, that's his interpretation. Somehow this same person says in uh, just a few verses later in, in uh, Lamentations 3.22, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And then he says something that we all know and we sing. He digs deep and he remembers that the God of judgment is also historically the God of mercy to Israel. And he says this, and you all know it, I'm sure. Verse 22 to 25, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So we have this, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this grief, in the midst of this pouring out, in the midst of complaining to God and saying, you are my enemy. Somehow he remembers, actually, God is not my enemy. God is on my side. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And he goes on in verse 25 to say, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. He doesn't feel like that at this point. He's digging deep to make that statement. They're still living in the chaos or in entrapment of Babylon and slavery. It's not a great place. But he actually, in the midst of that darkness and chaos, he finds a way of saying the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Chapter 4. And again, I'm just picking one-liners out of that, those verses. Greater than the punishment of Sodom. It says that in uh, Leviticus 4.8 or 4. Eight or six. It's one of the two. <laughs> you know when you do the optometrist line, you go <laughs> going down one line, is that, yeah, I'm at the bottom line right now and I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> Greater than the punishment of Sodom. Listen, I don't know. It would be pretty tough to compare anything against the complete destruction of Sodom, wouldn't it? Like that was... You know, even lots, you know, there, just a few people got away. They'd practiced just terrible sin. God was going to judge them. Lot and Abraham and Lot and his wife and a couple of kids, I think, you know, escaped. And, uh, and they were told not to look back. And Abraham, uh, Lot's wife looked back and became a pillar of salt. The entire city was demolished and vanished in a day, a second. So it would be very tough to imagine something worse than that. It says here, For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. And here, look, it's common, I think, for those who are enduring suffering and grief to look enviously at those whose end was swift. It, it, it can happen. When you're in the middle of a very difficult time in your life, and you, you'd like it to end. Sometimes you look at people who it ended for quickly and just say, man, I wish that happened to me. And I told you, the siege of Jerusalem was horrifying and all kind of terrible things were happening in there. Suffering and grief can be so intense that you long to die, to end it all, and wonder why others were relieved from their misery before you. And I know that's a dark, dark comment. But grief and despair can take even a sound and solid person to very dark places. So they would say, hey, I would rather we had had a Sodom type experience than had to 
endure what we're enduring today. That's how painful it is. And sometimes suffering and grief in our lives can be long. And we just don't know how we're going to make it. Yeah, we understand there's a big story, but every day I have to wake up in pain. Every day I have to wake up with loss. Every day I have to wake up with this and that. We just had a conversation with somebody that lost a child a number of years ago. And, you know, they wake up every day and that's, that's in their face every day. And they may have a bigger story in their life, but still that doesn't mean that that is not in their face every day. That's pain and grief they carry every single day. And the last one, in chapter 5, the, the author says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord. And the book ends with a communal, a communal prayer for God's mercy. Uh, verse 11, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. And I would say the message from the end of this book is return to God even if it's your fault. Even if it's your fault, return to God. You know, the power uh, of community, we see it in the way that this is, is, um, is, is written out. There is a communal prayer here where people are crying out together to look to, the, to God. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. They're saying, Lord, we now recognize our sin Take us back to the place of intimate relationship that we once had with you. You know, there's no guarantees. Community is a, is a very, very important part of walking through grief. It's a very important part. And a number of you have stories of how you've had difficult times in your life, and you could probably testify how community has been helpful to you. But just the reality is, is if we come alongside somebody who's in the middle of grief, the fact that we cry out to God together is no guarantee that we will have the result that we want. There's no guarantee that we'll have the result that we want. But somehow as we cry out together, there's a sense of us together rolling our cares onto the Lord and trusting for His outcome, whether or not it was scripted the way we wanted it to be scripted. Has anyone here, other than everyone, ever had an experience where you pushed and pushed and pushed to get something, it didn't happen, and you kind of threw your hands up in the air, and you said, okay, God, whatever, it's not going to happen, I'm just going to walk away from it. Where later on, you turned back and said, if I had got that, at that point, what I was praying for, it would have been a, the worst thing that ever happened to me. Anyone ever happened? I can give you an essay on all those moments <laughs> in my life. I did. I, honestly, finally, we started, we started realizing later, we've been Christians a long time, for almost four decades, so it's a long time. But I would say that during that period, we got to a point where we would push and push and push and we would realize if we pushed, because I'm not passive, I want to be, be active, I'm an active searcher, I'm, I'm asking, I'm knocking, I'm opening doors, I'm seeing what I believe God is saying in scenarios. But if nothing is happening, we got to a point where we would just say, probably not for us right now, let's step back. And in that, we would often and almost always find a different and better path 
opened up. You know, we wanted something. We wanted this, we wanted that. We didn't get it. And then what we got was, we couldn't believe it happened that way. Hey. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, think the, I think the idea of us coming together in community is not that we're necessarily praying for the solution we want. I think the reality is, is as we pray together, others are able to share our burden with us. And if I have, you know, if I have, Dylan, you're huge. Come over here. <laughs> okay, I'm carrying this, and it's not that heavy. I mean, it's heavy. If I, if I was carrying this for 20 minutes, it'd probably be heavy. But if I do this, wow, it just got 50% lighter. Corey, please join me. Because you're large as well. Hold this, Corey. Wow. I just need one, Brian, because you're small. <laughs> wow, look. One finger. In fact, it's all yours, guys. <laughs> Thank you, as you were. <laughs> So the idea of community is that we get to share the burdens with each other. And I think that has been, for us in our own lives, has been the greatest moment. We've had many situations where we've had to call on the community. The community has come alongside us and somehow we made it through. So I thought we would end tonight with an opportunity for us to end with ministry if you want it. So um, I'm not... I don't, want to, I don't want to create an environment that doesn't exist. But there is a possibility that somebody in here has some grief, some pain. You don't have to tell us the details of what it is. But I think it would be powerful for us to come alongside you quietly and, um, what's the word I'm looking for, tastefully, and just share that burden with you. Uh, you can tell us what it is if you want, or you can just say, son, it's, just, it's grief we're carrying, and we'll have three or four people come alongside you, and we will share your burden with you. We will exercise this. We'll cry out, as, um, as the author said in the notes that I can't find right now, <laughs> whatever I just said, that part, uh, we will do that. I'll find it before, you, before we join together. So I'm going to ask you to just do something. Just to bow your heads. I know this sounds real old school. Just close your eyes just for a moment. And if you just say, you know, there is, some, there is grief or there is some pain in my life. I'm maybe not necessarily able to, to share details. But I would love in some way for the community of God to come alongside me and share that. Is there anybody here that would say, that is me? Okay, there's a couple. Anybody else? And again, I, it doesn't, pain, grief, just something in your life that you've buried maybe, that it would be wonderful for somebody just to come alongside you and just say, uh, Lord, restore, uh, restore, to, restore us to yourself, O oh Lord. Uh, this, this idea of coming back to that place where God is able to step into the gap for you and, and heal and deliver you. So anybody, and again, it doesn't have to be 
massive. It's just something you're carrying. And you just say, you know what? I, I think it'd be good for someone just to come alongside me. Okay, last chance. Nobody? Okay, so there's a couple people over there. So what I'd like you to do, um, I'm going to have, uh, you know, Tom and Tina and Edwina and uh, uh, somebody else who's around there just to go over. And uh, just head over that side, put your hand up and just join them. And whoever's around them as well, please just uh, pray with them as well. In the interim, I'm going to have Corey come up again. And Corey, who is the king of Improvise is going to sing the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, aren't you, Corey? <laughs> and Hurley knows how to play that as well. So why don't you join us, Hurley? And Brian, I'm sure you have that down as well. So why don't you join us as well? So um, while we're doing that, those who put your hand up, just put your hand up again so we can know it is. Okay. And if you guys can join them. If you're there, turn around and go and gather around them as well, please. The rest of us will end with this, uh, with this song. And I want us to reflect on how good God is despite us.